Thank you for leading us in worship together this morning. It's a blessing to sing with you, to worship with you this morning. Um, I just asked Pastor Greg about 30 seconds ago if he'd be willing to come up and share a little bit about what's been going on with him while he's been away on mission fields in Arizona. So, Pastor Greg. So, first of all, where is Peoria, Arizona? We've heard of Peoria, Illinois. Geographically, it's probably uh, closer to, well, no, I won't say that. But uh, (laughs) (coughs) It's northwest Phoenix, man. Northwest Phoenix. Northwest Phoenix. Phoenix. Sun City, Surprise, uh, Peoria is all all northwest valley. So if they're driving in on Highway 10. Highway 10, you would, uh, before you get to Phoenix proper, you'd take another highway, uh, Highway 101, uh, like I said, you're west, and then you would go north, so about 20 miles. But believe me, when, when we lived there before, it was nothing. The streets that we drive on now if, around our home, if you'd have told us when we mentioned those streets 25 years ago, you might as well be in Blythe. I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it was absolutely nothing. That's, I think that's the thing that's affected us the most, So that in 25 years, I've never seen a place change more than, than the Valley of the Sun has changed. It's okay. incredible. So. So what are you doing in your church? I'm just preaching right now. Yeah? And they, you know, they're still going to want me back next week. Oh, so. well, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when, when we left, I, I told you that this is a church that's looking for a culture change. And they, they know about us. They know about Grace Point, And they, while they admit we have some serious obstacles that we'd never become Grace Point herself, which... Uh, you, a church never can. You know, uh, Peoria is not Rockland. Uh, that congregation is not you. <laughs> that congregation really is not you. <laughs> this is being taped. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, they they admit it, too. I mean, they, they, and, and what I mean by that is, is, is number one, <laughs> better explain it. I we, we can, we'll, we'll have to cut this part before nah. we go. What I mean by that is that, that most of you are, will be them in maybe 30 or 40 years, okay? But uh, it's, uh, Peoria Sun Cities, is, it, it was planted as a retiree's church and uh, uh, got a lot of people that retire. I mean, Sun City is, is right across the road. We live in Peoria, and the church is in Peoria, but if you travel two blocks, then you're in Sun City. Okay. Uh, and... Uh, and I, you know, when they brought me, I told you, I, I told them, I said, there's nothing wrong with being a retiree's church. There's absolutely, you know, nothing wrong. You want to reach retirees, other retirees, there's nothing wrong with that. And the leadership there, just most of them uh, being in, uh, retired from the church, retired pastors, a couple of general conference officers that gave their entire lives to the church, they said that they don't want to leave this as a legacy. And they say it with tears in their eyes that their kids are gone, their grandkids don't have any interest, and they said there has to be something wrong here. We have to do something about it. This is not what we want to leave. So uh, so they have a big vision for being different. They do. They do. The leaders do. Okay. And, and so what I've begun to do is to begin to introduce that vision to, to the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, some things they've been happy about, some things not so. But we'll Pastor Greg sent me a text a couple of weeks ago saying... Uh, um, never thought grace could be so controversial. 
And, I, and actually, it was, it, was, you know, it was kind of funny because Walt and I both know that there's never been anything more controversial than grace, at least in the church. In the world, grace is not controversial. In the church, grace is extremely controversial. Because everybody wants to know, well, what about obedience? Uh, and if that's, you know, and, and if, if that's the controversy that we face, then, uh, then I'm always up for that battle. I, I'm, I'm always going to stand there. So. Well, anything else you want to tell the folks before, you, before I... Uh... We miss you very much. miss you every day. We think of you every day. And, and we've gotten, I've gotten to the point to where I think of you uh, for strength and, and, and not, uh, not to think of you of how much I miss you and, and, and everything. But, but uh, I see your faces every day, uh, especially in study, especially in preaching. And I just want to let you know uh, how much, uh, as always, how much your, your love and your support mean to us and how much we truly, truly miss being here. So, right. Well, we miss you too, don't we, folks? And you're, you're welcome back to visit any time. I, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> well, we, um, as, you, as some of you are aware, we're just starting a series called The Things I Want to Talk About. And uh, I don't know why that elicits, elicits laughter every time I mention it. And uh, this, the freedom of this series is that uh, if I'm going along, if I want to change what I was thinking about talking about, I can. Because it's the things I want to talk about. And that's kind of what happened here. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you about prayer. Prayer was one of, the, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about over this series. But I hadn't really planned on talking about it right away. But as our conversation last week in our, our second look class talked a lot about issues of prayer, talked about unanswered prayer and what's going on and what's happening in those sittings, um, that became uh, uh, the theme of the, of the week as I was starting to say, okay, I, I guess I'm going to move prayer up in the schedule. And um, in the middle of all of that, I had a conversation with my nephew. My nephew loves to read philosophers. He loves to read uh, the people that no one else reads, uh, people who have written uh, long tomes on uh, the intricacies of the uh, capitalist systems, um, understanding finance at the level of philosophy, those kinds of things. And uh, so we were, ta- we were talking about one of those people this week. And as we were talking about it, he summed up something that I've been trying to say for the last 30 years in a quick sentence. And this is what he said. He said, with unlimited power comes the necessity for God to restrict himself. You think about that. Unlimited power by its nature has to have a restriction or it overwhelms everything else. There is no free choice if God does not in fact limit his own immense power. His unlimited power would overwhelm everyone's free choice except that he restricts his own authority and his own power. There could certainly never be a decision made outside of his will if he did not restrict his authority and his power. So think about that for a minute. With unlimited power, with God, if we we truly believe that God has unlimited power, then with that comes a personal restriction of that power. He has to restrict 
that power. Does that philosophically just blow your, your mind a little bit? Okay, so just kind of kind of let that rest, let that marinate just a little bit. Some things need to marinate before you cook them. Okay, so we're just going to let that one marinate a little bit as you're thinking. But I want you to leave, listen as that is the sort of the underpinnings of what we're talking about today. With that unlimited power comes a reason to restrict power. Have you ever wrestled with a child? Some some ladies, some of you gentlemen wrestled with your children. Okay. Are you able to just go full throttle with your four-year-old? No, right? You have to limit your power. Otherwise, you end up hurting the child, right? And you know that there's that line when you're playing with your kids that you have to just be really careful about. Because as you're wrestling and wrestling, you have to be watching carefully how much force you put into what you're doing. Otherwise, you cause harm and it stops being fun for them, right? Right? How many of you has a little kid ever wrestled with somebody who didn't let it be fun for you? Uh, my uncles used to just pin me down and tickle me. I hated it. They just hold me down and tickle me until I learned to not be ticklish. You know, you can turn that off. It got so miserable that eventually I just quit. I quit being ticklish. And it's no longer fun for them. So if you're one of those people who's getting miserably tickled by somebody, I'm telling you right now, learn to turn it off. Because it will no longer be fun for them and they'll quit. So if you're wrestling with a child, that superior power requires restraint on your behalf. It's, it's so much more than that with God. It would be like God wrestling with a newborn infant, perhaps. It, it's so much greater than that. His authority, His power, so far exceeds anything you and I understand or can relate to. He has to restrain that authority, has to resist giving any full, full uh, voice to His power, or it just would completely wipe out any options that you and I had. Gethsemane. How do you say that? Now, how do you say it? Uh, I think you say it differently than I do, but I can't hear it from here to there. Gethsemane is a showdown of power versus restraint. Think about it. When Jesus is in Gethsemane, there's a showdown between power and authority and restraint. It's the same thing that's happening when Jesus is being tempted by the devil. It's really not that he's being tempted to eat bread. It's that he's being tempted to turn rocks into bread. It's his power and the restraint on that power that the devil is testing. That's what he's pushing. And believe me, I, well, and I believe that's the ultimate, ultimate thing that's happening at the cross. When Jesus is on the cross, we have that song that says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. We're going to read a text in a little bit that it actually says it's more like 72,000 that Jesus mentions to his disciples. Yeah, sure, he could have called one angel to kill all those guys and let him free. But restraining his authority and restraining his power, he submitted to the cross and submitted to death. There's even a question here as to whether or not death could have reigned in Christ had he not allowed it to. You want, to, you want to continue to blow your little brain cells to death here? There, there's, there's a question here as to whether death could have had any authority over Jesus if he had not allowed it to. Sit on that one for a little while. But consider 
the restraint of Gethsemane. We're going to go through the passage today. We're just going to read it. This is a New Living Translation. I'm just going to read through the last portions of that chapter. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. He said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Verse 37. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. So how's Jesus feeling as he enters into this prayer session? Is he, is he just jovial? No, he's discouraged. Depressed even? Heartbroken even? Have you ever offered a prayer up to God where you were heartbroken and you just wanted him to answer more than anything? Jesus is saying, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. That's how I feel right now, guys. Could you just could you watch and pray with me? Verse 39, he went on a little farther and bowed down on his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus, in anguish, appeals to his father. Father, please take away this cup. Please don't allow what is laying in front of me to happen. Please. Verse 40, then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even for an hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Now, can I stop here for a little paraphrase, a little, a little side trail? We'll keep it short. We won't follow this rabbit too far. But we blame Peter for having a, a spirit that is willing and a body that is weak. We say, oh, that's about Peter. His spirit was willing. Peter always jumping up and saying, I'll go, I'll do it. But his flesh was weak. I don't think that's a statement about Peter. I think that's a statement about us. It's a straight statement about humanity. It says, look, all of you guys, all you folks have a problem. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Your spirit is willing, but you just can't follow it up. Your mouth keeps making commitments that your body can't, can't follow through on. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. So it's, just a, it's the common state of mankind. Don't throw this rope around Peter and say, oh, that's just Peter. It's all of us, and you and I both know it's true. As you sit there this morning, you know as clearly as anything that that is a picture of who you are. The Spirit is willing. Lord, there are so many things that I would be willing to do. But man, when it comes to getting up in the morning and getting started, you know the battle of the blankets hits some of us in the morning. You know, when it's past 9 o'clock, Lord, and you want me to go do something, I'm sorry, I'm just headed for my bed. That's the other end of the battle of the blankets. Some of you are struck by that one. Right? For some of us, it's getting out. For some of us, it's getting in. But the flesh is weak. We're unable to follow through on what we desire to do on behalf of God. Then Jesus left them a second time and he prayed, My father, if this cup can, cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. The, the prayer has changed just a little bit, but he's still saying, I would like to not do this. I really don't want to do what I know is out in front of me. I've read Isaiah. I know what it says is going to happen. I know about the suffering. I know about the pain. I know what's going to happen. I've read this. And Lord, I really don't want to do it. God, I don't want to do it. So this is God praying to God. Now that should blow your mind as well. When he returned to them again, again he found them sleeping, for they could not keep their eyes open. 
So he went and he prayed a third time. Have you gone back to gone back to God with the same prayer multiple times? Ever had silence? That's what's happening here. This is our least favorite prayer response. I would take a no every day and twice on Sunday over silence. Silence seems like neglect. But Jesus gets silent. Is he neglected? He returns and prays the third time saying the same things again. Then he came to the disciples and said, go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. Now I think there should be a more of a pause right here. Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So Jesus has asked three times to not have to face the cross. Three times he's gotten silence. Three times he said, okay, not my will, but your will. Whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Comes back to the disciples, wakes them up, and in walks his former friends. Before we go on, do you think Jesus wants to die like this, given what we've just read? Do you think Jesus wanted to go to the cross? Was he looking forward to it? Soul was in anguish, even to death. He was discouraged. He was unhappy. He was not really wanting to do this. Who had to restrain restrain themselves more for this to happen? The father or the son? We can throw the Holy Spirit in there if you'd like. He could have called 10,000 angels. Who sends them? The Father, right? I think the Godhead is pulling on the reins of their authority and their power to hold back what every fiber of their being wanted to do. And that was stop the cross. Stop the crucifixion. I think every angel in heaven is wondering what in the world is God doing? Look, he doesn't want to go through with it. Look, he doesn't want to continue. Stop this craziness. Are you kidding me? What are you doing? If you let this go on, God, you know what's going to happen. You of everyone know what's going to happen. I think the the pressure to do something about this with both internal and external. It wasn't just God's own heart wanting to leap out and do something about this. It was Jesus' request. It was the angels probably saying the same things, probably praying the same prayers. God, do something about this. You can't just let this continue like this. You can't just let this go on. God, come on. Even as Jesus said this, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They'd been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, Matthew writes this book probably at least 30 years after the death of Jesus. And he still can't find 
a positive thing to say about Judas. Do you think the disciples felt just as much angst about Judas as anybody? Jesus was the one betrayed, but they felt just as betrayed. Thirty years later, he still says the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Shakespeare stole this idea. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him the kiss. Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. The others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. One of the men with Jesus, we later find out, or we find out in another gospel that this is Peter, pulled out his sword, struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Now, we've had this conversation. I'm pretty sure he was not aiming for the ear. He just wasn't used to swinging a sword. He missed. He was going to take this guy's head off and just got the ear. Peter, for all the things we say about Peter, not being in, not being ready, not thinking first, Peter is at least willing to risk his life for Jesus when it's truly on the line right there. You don't see the other guys jumping up. Sons of thunder are not so thunderous right at the moment. But Peter whips out his sword and he's going to go at it with these guys with swords and clubs. As far as he knows, he's the only guy who has a sword. Slashes off the high priest's slave's ear. Then Jesus turns to him and says, put away your sword. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And then here's the verse. The verse about the restraint of heaven is verse 53. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels? He actually says for 12 legions of angels. Now, how many of them are there? Judas has left them. So there are 11 disciples and Jesus. So he's saying, I could call on God for for a legion of angels for each one of us. 72,000 angels here in Gethsemane right now. I could call for legions of angels to come and protect us. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. Now stop and step for, stop there for a second. Jesus said, I don't want to drink the cup that's in front of me, God, but your will be done. I don't want to drink the cup that's in front of me, God, but your will be done. I don't want to drink the cup that's in front of me, God, but your will be done. Had Jesus in any one of those settings said, take it away, I'm not doing it, it wouldn't have happened. The restraint for Jesus there is that he could have stopped it. That's what he's saying to Peter. I could stop this. I could stop this. I lay down my life Freely. I'm not being forced by anyone to give up my life. I could stop this. I could call on my father and he would send 72,000 angels here right now to stop this. I don't need your protection. Put away your sword, Peter. I have God's protection. I could take care of this if I wanted it, but I am not going to do it. I have chosen this, Peter. I have chosen the cross. If I did call 
72,000 angels? How would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? There's a bigger picture here, guys. There's a much bigger picture than any of us understand. He just said, look, there's a bigger picture here, Peter. I could stop this thing, but then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? How would the decision we made before the foundations of the earth find fruit if I stop here? If I don't go forward, if I don't exit Gethsemane, go through the trials, go through the crucifixion, if I don't go ahead with what was planned, how will God's word be fulfilled? How will the things God said would happen actually happen if I stop here? If I pull the, the, the ripcord right now, I will restrain what I want for what you need. God is saying, I will restrain what I want for what you need. At some level, you should just be going... Whoa. Because the God of the universe said he would stop doing what he wanted because what you needed was more important than what he wanted. My soul is crushed to the point of death. He's in anguish. This is real heartbreak. This is real sadness. This is real brokenness. Jesus is truly wanting this to go differently. Don't take this as Jesus just saying, Oh yeah, okay, okay, no problem. Yeah, well, whatever you want to do, God, we're good with it. I like prayers like that. Don't you? Where you don't really have anything vested on which, which way it goes. You know, you, prayers like that, I just feel so holy because I can go into it truly saying, God, whatever your will is, either way, I'm good. I'm good with this or I'm good with that. Yes or no, I'm cool. I'm cool. Whatever you want to do. But it is so rare for me not to be invested in the answer that I want. You know, we're okay with yeses. Right? Aren't we, are, aren't we all pretty much okay when God says Yes. Dear Lord, I'd like this to happen. Sure. Boom. God is awesome. We go tell our friends, I got an answer to my prayer. God is awesome. He's amazing. Here's the answer I got. Look, right here. Showed up. God showed up in my life. Then we get silence. We don't like silence. Then we get a no. We don't like no. See, our problem with prayer is not with yes. Our problem with prayer has never been with yes. We love yes. It's no, it's wait, and it's silence that bugs us. But is there a possibility that the God of the universe has held back and restrained his authority in your life? Not because it isn't what he wants for you, because it's what's not best for you. That the God of the universe is saying, I will restrain what I want to have happen in your life. Because it's not what's best for you right now. Because I just can't 
step in right now. It would, it would change some things that you can't understand. How, Peter, would the scriptures be fulfilled if I did this? If I called the angels now, how would the scriptures be fulfilled, Peter? There are bigger, bigger things going on than you understand. I want you to remember this slide for the rest of your life. When Jesus prayed with an earnest heart for an answer from God, the heavens were silent. Do you think God didn't like him enough? Do you think he hadn't gotten the prayer equation right? Do you think he didn't have enough faith in what God could do? Then when you get silence, it is not a rejection. If it was not a rejection to Jesus, it's not a rejection to you either. I've become, begun to believe that when Jesus is getting silence... He's helping us understand what this looks like. If I did, if I actually said to God, okay, not your will be done, just fix this. If I did, it would mess up the whole program. If I, if I got the answer from God that I wanted, it would change things that I don't want to see changed. We all need to face our not answers. And I know you're thinking of one right now. The time you prayed for somebody, it was perfectly reasonable that they be, that they be rescued. It was perfectly reasonable that they be saved. It was personally, perfectly reasonable that they be healed. Everything in your being was pleading with God and you didn't get the answer you wanted. Every one of us has experienced it. Every one of us knows this experience. There's not a person in the world who gets the answer yes every time they pray. Those people who write the books about prayer, I, I'm glad for them. They seem to get more yeses than the average person. But they're also very much aware that they get no's as well. You and I have to be really thoughtful about what it means when we don't get the answer we wanted. What it means when we get a non-answer altogether. We need to be really thoughtful about how we go about life and spirituality and our relationship with God when we're not getting the answers we want when we pray. First, is it true that God knows things that I don't know? That no's are painful to God. Do you think it's possible that no's are painful to God? Do you think Mary and Martha were praying for Lazarus? Lord God, please save our brother. Lord God, please send Jesus. Lord God, please help us out. Our brother is sick. Please heal him. Do you think restraining his authority over the death of Lazarus, Lazarus caused Jesus any pain? That's why this little shortest verse in the Bible is so important. 
Because he could have prevented the pain and the sorrow, and he didn't. You see, God knows resurrection is in the future of every believer. So it's not about your eternal life. It's not about your eventual salvation. It's not even about your eventual healing because everybody gets healed eventually. All the people who are following after God's heart, when the resurrection takes place, are changed in the twinkling of an eye. In a blink, you're transformed. Your old, worn-out, beat-up, sin-filled body, gone. And you get the brand-new Ferrari model of your body. Faster, brighter, better-looking than you ever were before. Barely recognizable as you, according to my understanding. You go from being a Model A Ford to a bright red Ferrari. Or whatever your image might be. Some of you are thinking, I don't want to be a Ferrari. Just get the picture. (laughs) Fill in the blanks as you wish. But the point is the same. Healing is true for everyone who follows after God's heart. It's part of the deal. So that's eventually true for everyone. We all get to be Lazarus someday. Back to life. Healed from our sickness. Everybody gets to experience what Lazarus experienced if they follow Jesus. So it's not about our eventual healing. It's about allowing suffering to continue now. That's what God has to restrain himself from stepping in over. He doesn't want to see you suffer any more than anyone else does. I mean, you think about it. You see those pictures of puppies on TV, and your heart goes out to a puppy, right? It's like the SPCA is just killing you with these pictures of puppies. They're like, oh, look, I love puppies. And you want to send them money because your heart goes out to them. You don't want to see suffering either. Do you think your heart is bigger and better and cooler than God's? No. Do you think we have anything on God where an understanding of the pain of a person's life is? No. So it's it's painful for God to say no to you about something that causes you suffering. It's painful for God to say no to you about something that causes you suffering. And I believe silence is an opportunity to pray again. Silence is an opportunity to pray again. You see, no is an end to your discussion, right? No is, we're done. Silence is an opportunity to pray again. You know what praying again usually does to me? It reframes the way I talk. It reframes the way I pray. It reframes the way I think about it. Very often as I am praying back the second, third, fourth, 27th time, it begins to reframe the way I go about what I'm thinking. It begins to reframe what I'm asking of God. It begins to change the way I approach this thing. I believe silence is an opportunity to come back and pray again. If you were a little kid and you ran up to your dad and he was sitting on the couch. Dad, 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 can I have a new baseball? Dad, can I have a new baseball? Dad, can I have a new baseball? Silence is not an answer. When do you stop asking for the new baseball? When you either get a yes or a no. 
or when you are convinced that it's the wrong question. Right? When he says yes, no need to ask anymore. Unless you're going to up the ante and ask for a glove too. Since you're in a giving mood today, Dad, when you get a no, you might whine a little bit, but that no means no. You're done. End of conversation. If you ask long enough it, and you get silence long enough, it may, it may become significant to you that there is silence. And it might change your approach and you may start thinking, you know, maybe the baseball isn't what I should be looking for. I believe silence is an opportunity to come back and pray again. That no matter what we experience, this is still true. That prayer is not a thing that sits by itself in Scripture. The prayer is not an event that you do in, outside your relationship with God. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. You see, today we're just talking about requests in prayer, but prayer is supposed to be an ongoing conversation between the people and the Father. It's supposed to be an ongoing conversation where we talk about life and we talk about everything. We say, hey, hey, I woke up this morning and I didn't die. Good day for me, God, thank you. Your mercies are new this morning. You know how I know? I was not consumed. And as far as I can tell, no one else was. Thank you, God. There's a lot of things to be talking about. We're just talking about requests because that's where most of us struggle. That's where the rubber meets the road for most of us. But let's end prayer in Romans chapter 8. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No is not I don't want to talk to you anymore. Silence is not, I don't care about you. All of these things are a part of the relationship. And they're a part of every single relationship you have. This one is a little different. In that, the partner in this relationship will never stop loving you. Let's pray. Lord God, we would like to see your authority reign in our lives. Corporately, individually, as a church, we want to see your authority reign here. Let it be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Father, when we hear a no from you, help us to understand it has 
nothing to do with your love. Then when we suffer, when we're sorrowful, when we're hurt, you don't stand on the sideline and watch unaffected. But your heart breaks for ours and you weep with us. That when you are silent, you're inviting us back for another conversation. That the talking is not over until an answer is given. Lord God, we choose to trust you. We choose to rest in you. We choose to believe in your heart. We thank you for the immense demonstration that the cross was of all those things. That you chose to submit to dying on the cross. Chose to submit to watching from the throne. Chose to submit to all of that horror. Because of what we needed. And because we needed to understand your heart. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.